All right, good deal. It is the gospel that makes the way. It's good. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and uh, it's good to uh, be back with you. Um, again, I hope you um, enjoyed uh, who we affectionately know as Matt Jiggy last week. Um, for those of you who were here last week, we um, actually got to celebrate uh, the wedding of two of our worship leaders, uh, Erica and Jason, now the Lightborns. And so, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> they are they're officially married and um, honeymooning, and it's, it's so good. But um, I know that um, if you were not familiar with Matt Jones as he came in, Matt Jones has really been here uh, from the beginning. Uh, Matt Jones was uh, here bringing youth teams when we landed in the uh, city uh, over four, uh, five years ago and was doing outreaches in the city. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it's a part of that outreach. That's how Cole got his wife, Evelise. Yeah, that's, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is true, though. That's how they met. Yeah, so I'm just telling you, you need to be a part of God's purposes. You need to be a part of God's purposes, and he just takes care of you in every way. So uh, Matt Jones gave a great word uh, last week, and um, I hope you enjoyed it and were encouraged by it. The Lord of hosts, right? Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. And so um, Matt Jones is actually on staff uh, with our sending church down in North Carolina, and uh, they're doing well, and I hope that you are able to be with us next week for Back to Church Sunday, um, and I'm going to, for anybody that I have your phone number, be passing along an image that you could just text to friends and uh, you know, family members, co-workers. It's just something easy. You know, A lot of times we uh, get a bit laborious trying to figure out how to invite somebody, but you can just text an image, and then they can um, show up. So we'll get that. Uh, to you, and you can pass it on, but uh, one of our other pastors on our sending um, church's staff, Charles Kiefer, is going to be here with us next week um, for us. We're going to be doing outreach in the city throughout the week, and then he's going to uh, be preaching with us that weekend, and then Reggie Roberson, who's also coming, he's going to have some spiritual gifts training as well um, and prophetic ministry for uh, those who are part of these services. So a lot coming. It's exciting, but please pray, right, Uh, because we depend on God in all of this, and we ask God to go ahead of us, to be in the midst of us and to uh, show himself strong. So with that in mind, what we're going to do is we're going to finish actually our series uh, called Revealed. And Revealed has actually been talking about the names, qualities, and character of God. If you've not uh, been able to be with us uh, the past several weeks, uh, what we've been doing is going through the Old Testament scripture and actually showing that it's a continuous story, that obviously the name above every name is the name of Jesus Christ himself. Um, At that name, uh, every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow, proclaiming that he is Lord. Uh, But God was revealing throughout the Old Testament leading up to Jesus coming, his character and his qualities through encounters that he had with the Israelites. And what we've really seen over the course of this time is that God was actually sharing through his names, his redemptive story throughout all of those names being revealed. It started off in the fall and um, mankind being separated from God, and God had to express himself as Elohim and Adonai, uh, the Lord of all creation, the one who's still in control of everything that he's made despite humanity's sin. 
um, he had to then come and show himself as Yahweh, Jehovah, the one who comes into covenant with people that he chooses for himself and show that I'm going to reconcile the world to myself by revealing who I am and showing them how to relate to me based on my word. And so he showed that throughout uh, his word and then therefore in his reconciliatory process started to show himself to the people of God who were the Israelites as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah all of these different names. He was the healer. He was the banner. He was the one who actually came and intimately interacted with God. But what we want to end with today is what is the culmination of all of these things? What is the culmination of all of these things, and what did God intend whenever he was revealing himself? Because if he's showing his name and he's showing his character and his qualities to humanity and he's making an appeal to us, what's his end goal? And his end goal is that we'd ultimately be able to come back and be reconciled to him just as Adam and Eve were able to walk with him in the garden in uninterrupted fellowship that we through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ, would be able to walk with God in uninterrupted, unbroken fellowship, just as we had at the beginning, and he made a way for this. So today what we're going to do is we're going to uh, finish the series revealed um, by discussing the name Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah, not Jehovah Shaman, but Jehovah Shammah. And we'll uh, talk about it today, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word. And you've given us your word that we might know you, and not only that we might know you, but even as we were worshiping you this morning, that our appeal would be that we might be with you. We might be with you and walk with you steadfastly, that God Almighty, you would be the one who directs our thoughts, our pursuits, our actions, our interactions, all of our intentions. God, we say that we're here for you to know you and to walk with you and to make you known, to glorify you, God. And Lord, we pray that in this moment, you would quiet our souls. You would quiet our souls and help us with, in the midst of all the going and comings and all the midst of the busyness of the week, God, reorient us. Reorient us around your word and your good intentions for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, um, we're going to start with uh, one simple scripture, then we're gonna, um, I'm going to only reference where uh, Jehovah Shammah is uh, spoken of, and then we'll uh, get into the crescendo moment, because what we see is God started with us at the bottom and then is crescendoing with us through the gospel. So here we go, Exodus 29, 45. What was God's intention? God's intention was is that he would actually be able to walk with us intimately as a people. He would actually walk with us, interact with us, that you wouldn't just know about God, but that you would have intimate relationship with God. Whenever we spend time in worship, the reason that we're doing that is because we don't want to just talk about him, we want to relate with him. We want to hear from him. We want to be, in a sense, touched by his spirit. We want to minister to him because he's worthy of it, right? God is alive and he's real and he, he, he's not just an idea as so many people reduce him to in our academic settings today. God is a person and the reason that he's continually testifying to his word throughout the ages by signs, wonders, and miracles, bringing heaven to earth as it is in heaven is because of the fact that people need to know that he's alive. 
that he's interacting with humanity today as he always has been. That just as Jesus was in the time of the Gospels and the Gospel writers recording his interaction with the people of Israel during the time, so he is today. And if you worship God today, you're not worshiping a different God. You're worshiping the same God in strength who's able to work miracles. You're worshiping the same God in strength who's able to provide protection. You're worshiping the same God who's able to fight battles on behalf of his purposes and his people. This is the God that you're serving. And whenever the Israelites were coming into an orientation with God out of their slavery in Egypt and coming back into right relationship with God under the leadership of Moses, coming out of their bondage, God said very clearly in Exodus 29:45, my intention is this, that I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. I will dwell. I will dwell. I will live among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. You know, there are certain things that you learn as you progress through the different uh, seasons of your life, Um, and all of these different seasons show you something different about God. I know that when I was first saved, I was so enamored with just God's saving power, Um, but when I got married, I saw a different aspect of God. Can anybody who's married say amen to that? God describing himself as a husband, and when you become a father or a mother and you start having children of your own, you start to see the heart of God in a brand new way. All of these things are progressive and is revelation amongst us. But one of the things I came to know as a father is that what we long for in our generation and part of why they're so brokenness is the absenteeism of fathers, meaning that they have children, but they're absent in their lives. Or even if they're around in the home, what happens is that they're passive and they don't really interact with their children as they should. And so because of that, that creates a void and brokenness in the homes that can only be restored by God the Father, who says that even when your mother and your father forsake you, I myself will take you up. But God's intention was always that he would be a good and active father with his people. And when he said that I'm calling you to obey me, serve me, and be my own, I'm not going to just give you commands from a distance, but I myself am going to dwell among you. I'm going to dwell among you, and I'm going to walk among you, and I'm going to be active in your life, and I'm going to have you participate in my power and my glory. Now, the word here for dwell is a Hebrew word called Shekinah. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, background, church background you came from, but if you came from um, sort of a more uh, uh, spirit-filled church, charismatic background, you might have heard this word before, the Shekinah glory of God. That was not something that the Pentecostals made up. Okay, the Shekinah glory of God is actually found in the scripture. And this is what he's talking about. The Shekinah glory of God is a word that literally meant God's intimate, glorious presence among his people. And even as we talked about about Jesus um, as the good shepherd, as the fulfillment of the one who would walk amongst us, he was the embodiment of that Shekinah glory of God, right? God coming in the flesh, the word becoming flesh, and all of the miracles that he did, and all of the demons that he drove out, all of that he intends to do today, it's because of his Shekinah glory. It's because he dwells amongst us, and it's not just an idea that we have as a distance or simply an empty hope. It's actually God Almighty who comes to flex and show himself strong among his people. But the question is, is as we go along as Christians, are you satisfied to have God's gifts 
without the presence of the gift giver himself? Are you satisfied to have even a calling in God? So many of us in our uh, traditional um, sense describe God having a calling on our lives, right? But are you satisfied to pursue a calling in God without the one who actually calls you? The danger of all of our lives and the real danger is to become content with the pursuit of God's blessings, his calling, and even the benefits like community. Community is a great thing, right? The fellowship of the believers is a great thing. And that might be how you came into the Lord. But that if that, the community that you have only stops with those who call upon his name and does not go to the one they're calling upon, then you've missed it. And what we need to see is that all, all of human folly, suffering, and sin come out of a place of being satisfied with his blessings, but not his presence. His blessings, but not his presence. How quickly the Israelites, after Moses had brought them through the Red Sea and had them going into the promised land, how quickly did they turn back to the things that they were doing over and over again? Why? Because what they wanted was freedom from slavery. What they wanted was to be able to worship and to utilize all that they plundered the Egyptians with when they were coming out, the material blessings that God had given them. But they weren't satisfied with the person of God himself, and so then were perpetually in a cycle of sin. Now we see that over the context of the historic books, In the Old Testament, that even as Moses gave the law, the Israelites, as we talked about previously in the book of Judges, would go through a time where they were forgetting God and him dwelling amongst his people, and they would go into times of sin, and God would have to raise up deliverers for them to return them to the law, and ultimately his heart was to return them to him, his presence, and his purposes. But then you eventually get to a place, fast forwarding, in Ezekiel, who was a prophet, where eventually God was disciplining the Israelites, saying, it's not enough that you be satisfied with my blessings. I want you to want me. I want you to want me. And so since you're forgetting this over and over again, eventually I'm going to turn you over to your oppressors. I'm going to turn you over to the things that you want other than me anyway. The things that we thought would be blessings that end up being tormentors to our heart and mind, right? Sort of like you're asking God for money, but once you get it, you never really have money enough. You ask God for a relationship, but then you find that the very relationship you were hoping for disappoints you, and then your heart isn't satisfied enough. Everything that you are asking God for, if you don't have him at the center, becomes a disappointment to you, and then becomes bondage to you. And this is what was happening in Babylon whenever the Israelites were finally turned over to their oppressors. They were turned over to their oppressors, and Ezekiel was a prophet who was taken into captivity with his fellow Israelites in Babylon And after 25 years, the Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he started to prophesy. 
He started to prophesy about a return to what God originally intended. He said, you've missed it. You're suffering the consequences for it. You've wanted things rather than God. And so therefore, he's given you over to the things that will oppress you. But now in his kindness, he's calling you back. In his kindness, he's calling you back to what it should be. And at the end of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 48, 35, we know that there has been a period that as the Israelites were taken into captivity in Babylon, there was also in Jerusalem where only a remnant remained. There was the destruction of the temple where the worship used to take place in Israel. But God promised that the place of my dwelling amongst my people will eventually be rebuilt. And I'm telling you that what you are missing will eventually be returned to you. It will be returned to you. And this is what he's talking about. You can read Ezekiel 48. I'm, see, that's 35 verses. You can read it later. But he's talking about basically a city that he was going to rebuild. And he said, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits. And the name of the city from that time on, when I bring you back from bondage, shall be the Lord is there, which is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. When I'm bringing you back from captivity, the promise that I have for you is I'll be there. The promise that I have for you is that how things will be restored is if once again, I'm with you. I'm with you. That you don't just know about me, you don't just have blessings from me, but that I myself am with you. This is why we encourage you not only to come to church, but to in your private time, cultivate a relationship with God through prayer, through worship, through times in the word, that what we do in this moment collectively, you would also do privately. It would not be a good, very good marriage if the only time I related to my wife was, was, uh, was when I was with other people. Can anybody say amen to that? It would not be a very good marriage. That would be an arranged marriage. That would be a political marriage, but it would not be one that did well. And God's saying, don't treat me like that either. Don't just relate to me in the public space. Let me be Jehovah Shammah to you. In the world, there is constant devastation both natural, as we're seeing in our hurricanes, and man-made and turmoil, ruin, misery, and war. However, in the city of Jehovah's constant presence, what he promised, there is safety, there is tranquility, there is healing, there is security, and there is peace. All the things that man actually looks for, all the things that we've been talking about when we've been talking about his various names. And again, if you haven't been with us up to this point, we encourage you to go back on the website and look at the notes or listen to the messages so you can see all of these things building up, all these things God showing about himself. He's saying all of them are found when I'm there. All of them are found when I'm there. And as a church today, we cry out and we declare these things over people. But we cannot be content with having church without him being here. 
And the good news is he says, where two or more gather together in my name, there I am with them. But how often do we relate to him as such? How often do we walk in the fear of God and the trepidation of God in a good way and the awe of God, acknowledging that he's amongst us when we declare him in his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness? It should engender every time we talk about him a longing for him and everything that he's promised us. Psalm 126 The context of this was when the Israelites were in their bondage during the time, that Ezekiel time in Babylon. And their captors during that time were mocking them because they were familiar with the history that Israel had. Much like people in our times are familiar with the church and all that the church has meant to society and to community All the charity that you see in the world, it derived itself from Jesus' intervention in society. All the good things that you see people take for granted and just attribute to the Red Cross. Right? The Red Cross honoring Jesus at first. They're just taking for granted now and they mock the church because the church has been satisfied with its own captivity being satisfied with the things they could produce by their own hands, not being content with what God being amongst them. And the Israelites in that captivity were singing a song as their tormentors mocked them. And they sang this song that said, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, which was the city of God, Jerusalem, the place where he dwelled, remember where the temple had been destroyed, the place of his presence, where he was. He said, we were like those who dream." Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. They're asking him in the midst of their captivity, God, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Jejeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What in the world were they talking about? They were talking about the former blessing they experienced when they were in their own place, their own community in Israel, modern-day Israel, where the temple was, where God was, and his blessings came down. Why? Because he was with them. And they're crying out saying, God, be with us again as, we, as you were prior to this captivity. We recognize now, we've had time to think. We've had time to ruminate. We've had time to go back over how we've been living and the mistakes that we've made. Anybody ever been in a place like that before? Where sort of like you reap the consequences of your actions or living without God and you had time to think about it. Then you were like, man, it was better. It was better when I was with God. It was better when he was at the center of my world and he was at the center of my pursuits and my emotional life and my relationships. It was better. And then you, like the Israelites, begin to wake up and cry out, God returned us to that place. 
Restore to us our fortunes, but not just the fortunes, the things you give us, but God, be with us. We want not just the things, we want you. We want you. And I think without knowing it, this is why men and poets throughout the ages, men like Henry David Thoreau, said most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. People without God, not knowing God, they're leading lives of quiet desperation. How many people have seen that in their own families or workplace or friendship group? People tormented saying, I'm empty inside. I might have money, wealth, and I might have opportunity, but I'm empty. Because I don't have the God by whom and for whom I was made. The only one who could satisfy my soul. Paul in Ephesians, whenever he was talking to the newly forming Gentile churches, trying to help them explain what it was that God, who God was and what it was that he was calling them into, talked about the church and described things this way in Ephesians 2. He said, therefore, remember that at one time, just like Thoreau said, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And all this is talking about is the sign of the covenant that God would make with his people, the Israelites. He said, in the flesh, you're going to circumcise yourself as a sign that you're set apart to me. He said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having, and this, is, this always strikes me like a ton of bricks, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and being without God in the world. I remember being in that place. I remember being without hope and without God in the world. And it was a tormenting place. Didn't matter what my pursuits were, how I was doing academically, how my family was. I was without hope and without God in the world. And I don't know how I would have handled married life. I don't know how I would have handled challenges with children. I don't know how I would have handled all that's going on in the world around us today. The threats, the torments, the fears, the natural disasters without having a hope and God in this world. But many people live without him. And he said, you used to be that way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that good news? That's a proximity statement. That's a positional statement. He's saying you were once far away. He's not just talking about disagreeing with him. He's saying your proximity-wise brought near to him. Previously, you were like the water that did not mix with the oil. Or rather, I should talk, switch that up because a couple of us are, you know, still a little bit slippery. You know, the thing is, you were like the oil not mixing with the water. But he said, now, through the blood of Christ, I'm washing you. I'm cleansing you and bringing you near so you can have relationship 
with him. Verse 14, he said, for he himself is our peace who has made us both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that was me, and peace to those who were near. That means you might have grown up in the culture of Christianity, but still need to be born again. He says, I still need to make you new because you've just been religious up to this point, but I need to bring you near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, the Holy Spirit. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, here it goes, grows into a holy temple, grows into a holy dwelling place of God. He's saying the people get built together. First they come to him, then they get built together, and they're built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That means that just at the beginning, as at the beginning, he says, I'm going to dwell among them. My Shekinah glory is going to be among them, and I'll be their God. He says, in the church, through Jesus Christ, I'm reconciling you to myself, and now I'm building another temple by which I'm going to dwell by my Shekinah glory. Jesus is the embodiment of the presence of the Lord with all of God's fullness dwelling in him. We'll just write these down or you can refer to them later. We're not going to look at them. It's actually a good Bible study. He's the fullness of God dwelling in him, has the fullness of God rather dwelling in him. Colossians 1.19. But because of Christ's reconciliatory work on the cross as believers, we have individually become temples of the Holy Spirit where God chooses to dwell. Isn't that good news? that we don't just go to a temple and worship anymore. You yourself are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That when you're born again, he comes to make a home in you and says, I will be with you. I will be there, right? But then he continues that and says, I'm going further. I'm taking it one step further. I'm not just satisfied with individualistic Christianity. I want a people. And there amongst my people, I will dwell in my Shekinah glory. If you've ever felt dry in your relationship with God, you need to get around other believers who can encourage you in the things of God. This is not a solo sport. It's meant to be walked out in community. However, in the midst of us being a people even here and now, there is a greater final fulfillment when the Lord himself in his glorious presence will be both the temple and light in which the people of God dwell in uninterrupted fellowship with Jehovah. Because he says very clearly that as long as I'm in this body, I'm away from the Lord. And everything that I'm experiencing now is only a foretaste of glory divine, right? 
you cultivate it now so that he's not a stranger to you when you actually see him face to face, right? So many people, having called on the name of Jesus, according to Matthew, are going to appear before him, and he's going to have to say to them, away from me, evildoer, I never knew you. Because they called on his name, but didn't actually obey him or cultivate that relationship with him so that when they see him face to face, he's like, I never knew you, but I called on you, but I never knew you. And he's saying, cultivate it now that when you see him face to face, you might come with great celebration and glory. The good news of the gospel is that a crescendo is coming in the Lord. And for this, we labor even as we pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying for? Not just his blessings, but him. God, rend the heavens is what Isaiah said. Rend the heavens and come down. Show your strength amongst us. Jesus alluded to this crescendo when he said, John 14, 1 through 4, do not let your hearts be troubled with all that's going on around you. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back And take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Once again, so you might be with me. And if you are not celebrating that and saying this is the great joy of my heart that I might be with him, then you've missed it altogether. You've missed the point of it all. Then it does become about laborious rules and traditions that you can easily throw off in a culture that rejects him. If he is not the end goal himself, then you will ultimately find reason to dismiss him. And he's saying, I am the goal. I am the prize. I am what I said to Abraham, your very sure reward. I am, he says, not the things. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Revelation, John the Revelator, who is one of Jesus' disciples, said it this way. What's it going to look like? He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That eventually all that's wrong in the world is going to be dealt with. He said, we're the salt and the light in the meantime providing both preservation to it and flavoring it with the kingdom until he makes his return, right? In your family, in your workplace, in your relationships, he says, you're the salt and the light. But ultimately, I'm going to deal with it all. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here we go, behold. I'm not going to shout at you. He said, behold. Just hear it shouting in your mind. Behold, 
the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, it's coming full circle now. In the garden, you were separated. Through all of my names, I've been reconciling you, showing you how to be reconciled to me. But what ultimately does it lead to? That you might be with me again. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then you get the benefits, right? Then you get the benefits, that which our hearts long for. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He's saying it's all about coming back to me. And I will be there. I'll be Jehovah Shammah, the Lord being there. Your Lord and your God. And everything that your heart, your mind, and your soul have been longing for will be fulfilled in me. And everything leading up to that point, whether through signs, wonders, and miracles, or through your daily relating to him, is preparing you for that in him. I referenced at the beginning of our series a good book that encapsulates a lot of this. It was, a, um, again, for... You Moody's, it was a Moody uh, professor named Nathan Stone. And he wrote a great book called The Names of God. But he summarized it all this way, and this is our final point. In that beautiful city where the Lord is, four square with its precious stones, its crystal river, its delectable fruits and tree of life with its leaves for the healing of the nations, all will be light and love and holiness and worship and joy and safety. There shall be no more curse, no adversary, no defilement, no sorrow, for every wicked doer shall be cut off from that city of the Lord or Jehovah. Then will be realized the full and final rest of the redeemed, the Sabbath rest of creation restored. The glory of Jehovah will be fully manifested in the lamb that was slain. He will be seen and known in the full meaning and beauty of the names by which he revealed himself to man's imperfect apprehension. And we shall join in saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever 
and ever. Amen. That's our hope. That's our expectation. And that every day is what we're cultivating, marching toward. That it might be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we might have him dwell amongst us and Jehovah Shammah not actually be our God. So when I think about back to church Sunday, I'm saying, yeah, <laughs> the Lord is there. Come and meet him. Come and be reconciled and enjoy what you were made for, built for, by him and for him. In Jesus' name, amen? All right, worship team, come on.